ETL Echo and Friends present The Winter Wonderfix Collaboration, a series of festive one-shots and podfics. Kaleidoscope by Hey Jude 19 These could be any man's lips, but they did not belong to any man. These lips were a singular pair, the most beautiful, distinct pink. They plumped with her attention to them, then caused other pinkness to spread along his jaw, down his neck. Hermione brushed her mouth to his throat, unfortunately the only skin revealed below his face. She wouldn't be able to see the pink hues brought forth by her own mouth. Words could do it too. Compliment him in front of others, and the coral dusting appeared on his high cheekbones, even as he'd play it off with a quip. Insult or anger him, and roses bloomed in the same place, fallen petals on marble. Since the dark room prevented Hermione from seeing much of him, she tried once again to dissociate his identity. These could be any man's hands on her waist. Alas, Hermione knew these specific hands, especially with that signet ring he always wore digging into her side. His hands were the colour of fresh cream. They could bring to life other colours along her skin, though, muted blues and purples, from where she'd encouraged him to grip tighter, to squeeze harder. Fingerprints and possessive marks she'd started hesitating to cover, or glamour. Multicoloured proof he'd been there, painted and imprinted on her. At this close range, Hermione could at least see her new favourite colour. Grey. Contrary to the standard association, grey meant passion to her. Not dullness, not plain or boring or devoid of life. Sometimes his eyes became a sharp blade. Precise in a glare that could cut you to the quick. Other times, an ashy fog obscured his true intent and made unreliable guesswork her only method for sussing out true feelings. But right now, that intense, steely flint flashed and focused solely on her, her face, down her body where they joined again and again. It was the only time she ever saw how bright his eyes could burn. In these hidden moments she stole with him, This grey was for her and her alone, pewter pinning her as effectively as his body did against the wall. Hermione forced her eyes shut, cutting off any creeping sentiment. She needed him out of her system, that's all this was. That's how it had started anyway, at the Department of Magical Law Enforcement holiday party, the very one they'd just absconded from exactly a year earlier. The Daily Prophet had released a future Minister for Magic, article that morning in a clear attempt to personally ruin Hermione's holiday season. Some twit with a quill, idle time and a death wish had published their forecast for the ministry's political future, including flowery profiles of who they termed clear frontrunners on the track to supreme power. According to the press, Hermione Granger, ministry cursebreaker, was one such which to watch for as she climbed the political ladder to success. In addition to far too many exclamation points, the article had also included a lengthy and overly saccharine detailing of her close friendship with Aura Harry Potter, puffery about her curse-breaking, and, in a weird bid to show her as relatable, a candid shot of her eating a cheese toasty at a cafe the day after she'd broken up with Ron. Even the golden girl has to brush crumbs off her robes. Really, it was the prophet's fault that last year's Christmas season had been so miserable. 
Colleagues had made snide jokes all day at her expense, only made worse as they got deeper in their cups at the not-optional-unless-you-wanted-to-commit-career-suicide department-wide holiday shindig. Hermione could have spent the party soaking her irritability with the watered-down rum punch, but had decided on a less destructive path for her rage's direction. Sort of. In hindsight, grabbing Harry's aura partner by the suspenders and dragging him into an empty office could have been seen as a form of destruction, just of her sanity instead of her reputation. But Draco Malfoy, who looked so dashing in his civilian clothes, had just offered her a drink, and well, timing was everything. She had just needed that amnesiac bliss from kissing someone, and he was a convenient and attractive candidate. He'd responded eagerly enough, letting her pull him into the room and returning her kiss without question. Her strategy had worked. His touch had obliterated the lingering rage and frustration from dealing with idiots day in, day out. She had forgotten just why she had been so bent out of shape with his lips slanted over hers and there had been nothing but a kaleidoscope behind her eyes. Colours had burst and danced and with each new touchpoint discovered, with each new angle explored, shifting brilliant shades had lit her up. Kissing Draco shouldn't have felt like that. Like if she ever stopped kissing him, she would lose that incendiary, glimmering sensation forever. With a jolt, Hermione had broken away, muttering, Thanks, sorry, and had left him in the dark. It had been a one-off, until the first pub night of the new year. Hermione had found him waiting for her outside the washroom, and then found him pressing her back inside and against a graffitied wall. Apparently, she had needed more than a one-off. She had needed to pull his hair, she had needed him to grab a fistful of her curls, she had needed him sucking bruises into her neck and collarbone, she had needed his thighs pressed between her legs. But that had been it. That was as far as it would go. Until a dinner party the following week at Harry and Ginny's. At least the bathroom had been cleaner there. Draco had hoisted her onto the sink, and she'd found her dress rucked up and her legs round his waist as he rutted against her fully clothed. She had come in minutes, her head knocking back into the mirror. More. More skin, more time together, more colour in her drab, dreary life. A bad idea became a bad recurrence, became a truly bad habit. Every single post-work week pub night began with meaningful glances and ended with coordinated departures, so their friends would never suspect that exactly ten minutes after Draco left, Hermione would apparate to his flat and they'd fall into each other over and over. In his bed, his massive tub, the lush carpet in his sitting room, and one memorable time on his dining room table. What began as something done in hidden, secret places didn't have to remain as such, but something, fear, in the back of Hermione's mind, fear of rejection, told her to keep this casual, to keep things light fear of rejection and of the unknown, and also perceived complications and emotional baggage, and to squash any conversation that approached making these trysts something more. Hermione gave out excuse after excuse, feeble reasons that weakened with each minute in his presence. We're not direct colleagues, but... Harry and you are partners, so... All our friends don't know, and... Draco would nod, as if what she said made sense as if he agreed. But lately he'd taken to kissing her post-hookups, indolent lip-locks that savoured instead of devoured, when he burned brightest just for her. That coveted time was almost upon her now, 
Looking as dazed as she felt, Draco hitched her higher, drove in deeper. Hermione bit her tongue, forcing compliance. She would not say his name. She would not say any one of the hundred things she wanted to say. He knew her moans by now anyway. He knew that the higher-pitched one that she'd just released meant she needed his fingers between her legs. The whimper that followed meant he'd hit the right spot and she'd soon be in shambles in his arms. Hermione came with her eyes squeezed tight, golden bursts behind her closed lids. Pleasure sparkled with Draco. A glittering, gaudy fireworks display exploded in her vision. She all but collapsed against him, Draco then turning her and bending her over the desk. When he entered her from behind, Hermione wondered if they shouldn't reconsider their nothing-salacious-at-work policy, save for escaping from forced festive atrocities. She knew he was close, knew his tells by now too. He would draw out his climax, increase his hand's pressure into her hips as he slowed his thrusts, a slurring pronunciation of her surname followed by a sigh. Now, the kisses, vivid and vibrant. Draco encircled her, an all-encompassing embrace that pulled her upright and with lethargic, unhurried lips, kissed her breathless. Through the whispering of contraceptive charm to the writing of their clothes, his lips never strayed far from hers. Then he parted them to whisper a soft demand. Come to Paris with me for Christmas. Paris would be winter white this time of year, Snow-dusted monuments and cafes and Christmas markets beckoning with bright lights and sweet smells. And white moonlight hair on the pillow just beside hers each morning and night, as soft and powdery as the fallen snow. Hermione hadn't recovered enough to form a proper question. Two hotel rooms? No need. I have a second home there. And you want me to spend Christmas there? With you? Yes, you need this trip. Hermione recoiled, a presumptive tone grating her nerves. You have no idea what I need. You don't even know me. Oh? He skimmed his fingers up her arm. I don't know you. Just because we, um, we, we, um... Fuck. She frowned at his vulgarity. Yes, that. That doesn't mean a thing. You brazen little liar. His familiar touch trailed up her neck and found a curl to tug. Hermione's chin jutted out defiantly, daring him to continue. Here's what I know. You have nothing and no one for you here for the holidays, same as me. You need an escape just as badly as I do. You haven't taken proper time off in years. I know you love Paris because you used to visit with your parents. And this time, you'll spend every spare second of your trip there in my bed. Save the four or so hours where you'll crawl back to your own to sleep because, Merlin forbid, you spend the night next to me, even if I'm exactly what you need. No smirk, no cruelty. He laid out his analysis without even referencing the fact they'd been intimately acquainted for more than a year now. He could have thrown it all in her face, how he knew every inch of her body had mapped the entirety of her with his hands and mouth but his unfortunately accurate summary proved that he did in fact know a bit more than just her physical form. By all means, please tell me what else I'll do since you apparently don't require an actual answer from me. He ignored her prissy reply. Come downstairs and have a drink with me, and then I'm taking you out to dinner after so we can talk this through. I... Dinner meant a date. In public, 
interacting and conversing with no means for carnal distraction, talking and connecting and fighting the frighteningly strong emotions lodged in her chest that had immediate plans for mutiny and escape. To quell the inner insurrection, the same refusal fell out of her mouth, just as it had every other time he'd asked something more from her besides clandestine sex. Stay for tea, stay for breakfast, stay the night, stay, Granger, stay, stay, stay. I can't. He dropped his hands and stepped back from her. He took his greys, golds, creams, whites and pinks with him. Colours she'd come to memorise and crave. Fine, he said, clipped. This Hermione belatedly saw was a last-ditch attempt to draw her out, to replace questions with confirmations. He gave her one final heated stare, then left the room, slamming the door shut behind him. Black was the colour of failure, but Professor Snape's curtain of hair and expressionless eyes as he declared her insufferable. A Bellatrix's curls and wand as she shrieked and inflicted torture because Hermione wasn't quick enough to think her way out of this capture. Dementor cloaks as they swooped ever closer because she couldn't summon her Patronus. Draco's robes as he disappeared out the door moments ago, following her bungled response to his offer. A different fear, she'd chased away her best chance at happiness for the holiday season and beyond, replaced her initial one, that paralysing, choking, inconvenient emotional baggage. Hermione fixed her hair and smoothed down her dress. Slipping out of the dark office, she found someone else waiting in the otherwise deserted hallway. Padma Patil leaned against the wall with a grin, twirling an open envelope in her hands. So, she declared. You're fucking Malfoy. No need to be crude. Well, you are. Want to talk about what has you so wretched lately? Wretched was hardly fair. Hermione's parents refused to come back for the holidays. Again. Harry would be busy with his in-laws. Always. And Padma was taking her sister holiday to Switzerland with Parvati. The bitter sting of only child status reared its head. So maybe Hermione was mildly miserable at being alone, and had not only taken it out on Draco moments ago, but had perhaps been an ill-tempered curse-breaking partner to Padma the whole week. Other friends could be deflected with a snippy reply, but Padma would never be so easily cowed. Hermione sighed and covered her face in her hands. Because I want more with him. Tell him that. No, why not? This is just a phase for him. Hmm. Odd, then, that he has also been single for. Why, his entire ministry career? Hermione peeked through her fingers to see her friend's grin widen further. Is he a goodly? Padma pressed. Very. Are you exclusive? No idea. I'm not with anyone else. You want to be exclusive? I don't. Padma rolled her eyes at Hermione's reflexive yet flimsy denial. You literally said you wanted more with him. That's what comes next, Hermione. You're shagging, and it's great, so your options are continue shagging, stop shagging, or declare that this is now something beyond just shagging. Hermione let out a groan and debated how best to throw her pride at Draco's feet. Enough free advice, said Padma and patted her shoulder sympathetically. Switch cards with me. Hermione frowned as Padma tore open the envelope that had been handed to her at the start of the holiday party. You're not supposed to open it yet. Padma grimaced as she read Hermione's card. Ugh, Blinky, a house elf bystander? 
I'm getting a different one. I bet I can get Robard's admin to trade with me. She's been ogling my chest the whole party. Are you trying to be the murderer? Yes, that's how you win. No, you win by either identifying the murderer or being the murderer and getting to the end of the game undiscovered. Can you just let me pretend murder someone in this department in the spirit of the holidays? A fictional death of one pompous asshole is all I ask. There's even a prize involved. Back on the main floor, Hermione craned her neck round the crowded room. Padma began haggling with an aura over the unopened envelope, leaving Hermione to search for Draco on her own. She finally spotted him at the edge of the room, close to the exit, when the lights dimmed. Witches and wizards of the Department of Magical Law Enforcement, if we could have your attention, please. The amplified voice of head cursebreaker Hestia Jones rang out, silencing ancillary conversation with one exception. Hermione could hear Budma's harsh whisper as she continued to threaten Ernie McMillan at one point into switching cards with her. We're so glad to take this opportunity to celebrate another successful year, said head Aura Gawain Robards. And what better way to honour today, the winter solstice, than playing the longest night? Excited murmurs broke out while Hermione rolled her eyes. This was their superior's answer to official complaints that past Christmas parties were not exactly culturally inclusive and further inappropriate with the amount of alcohol and magical mistletoe involved. But apparently a role-playing game encouraging suspicion and murder was just fine for the Ministry's law enforcement branch. All of you should have your character profile envelopes. Please open them now and stick the cards to your front, instructed Hestia. Everyone did as bade and Hermione glanced down at her chest to see Mrs. Van Peebles, elderly muggle witness, affixed to her dress. Looking around at her colleagues, she noticed others had name tags from the innocuous, retired aura, and muggle shopkeeper, to downright offensive, leader of local werewolf gang, and bloodthirsty vampire with a chequered history. We're setting a timer of one hour, said Hestia. During this time, your form alliances work together to question others, post theories, and at the end, present your case for the suspected killer. Happy accusing. And with that, Robards adopted a solemn tone. Welcome to the longest night of the year. The sun has set and will not rise for many hours. Werewolves, vampires and muggle criminals alike are prowling about the village, taking advantage of the prolonged darkness. And lo, he staggered back theatrically and put a hand over his heart. The killer has claimed their first victim. Me! Off you go. Find out who killed the head aura. Tonight's winner or winners will be awarded an extra paid holiday off. The lights came back up as some of the more overzealous auras immediately banded together to form a team. Hermione fought her way through the crowd, ignoring anyone who would try to engage her in this asinine game. But Draco seemed intent on escape, backing into the door and turning the handle. He'd almost snuck out when someone other than Hermione spotted his planned departure. Order, Malfoy. I've just been murdered. It would be awfully rude of you not to participate in avenging me, Robards cheerfully called. Draco grimaced apologetically and closed the door in defeat. Before Hermione could reach him, he slipped along the crowd, disappearing into the throng. She tracked his blonde hair, 
A yellowish tint in the ministry lighting, a burnished halo acting like a beacon and did her best to follow. Dodging idiot after idiot, intent on involving her in their gameplay, made for slow progress across the room. Lisa Turpin detained her for two whole minutes, insisting on only using their character names and questioned Hermione on her whereabouts during the murder. Cormac McLagan pretended to obliviate her. Another aura then acted out, removing the memory charm so he could question her further. By the time she freed herself from the enforced nonsense, she'd made it to the refreshments table to see Draco chatting with a witch. A young, pretty witch. From behind, Hermione admired the woman's sleek, shining hair and a neat ponytail. Smooth and chic in a way her own curls would never behave. The woman's dress could also be described as such, a lovely, flattering garment that perfectly hugged curves Hermione didn't quite possess. The woman laughed at something Draco said, and inspired a furious splash of colour. Red. Where was the green? There should be green. Verdant jealousy was meant to come alive, lush and leafy, to then be swiftly brushed aside for the immaturity of such a reaction. But Hermione only saw red. It bled into her vision and obscured common sense in a scarlet cloak. She knew this shade well, she realised. Any time the paper speculated about his love life, if she read a gossip column about his past betrothal to Astoria Greengrass, and whether they would rekindle their love affair, if some tabloid tripe found its way into her hands and she scoured the society pages taking guesses about which pure-blood heiress would catch his eye and become the next Mrs Malfoy, if he was spotted attending certain parties and who he danced with that evening. Red was possession, dangerous in the way it made her want to declare dramatic things, publicly, passionately, like mine and back off. Padma might not be the only murderer at this awful party, the way Hermione felt like cursing this other witch. The horribly violent thought gave way to partial shame. It wasn't this woman's fault Hermione wasn't brave enough to ask for what she wanted. Draco deserved someone openly interested in him. Not someone blinded by rage, as crimson as the dress she'd selected for the party because he'd groaned. Gods, this fucking dress, Granger before nearly tearing it in two a few weeks ago. She studied Draco then, and with some relief, saw his indifferent face. Stiffly polite and bored, the one he never used with Hermione. He was giving this person the barest modicum of his attention, and yet, red, hot anger still burned. Anger at herself for feeling this mortifying way, and anger at Draco for being the one to inspire her insanity by simply existing. Finally, he must have noticed her staring, locking eyes with her over the woman's shoulder. Hermione waited for the smirk, the, oh dear, is Granger jealous, smug expression. Instead, he only frowned, looking disappointed. Excusing himself from the woman, he approached Hermione with a raised eyebrow. Is that glare meant for me? Come with me. Hermione dragged him by the arm, and in front of the entire department, and amid some protests about secret alliance forming, tugged him into a free interrogation room. Hermione shut the door and silenced the room before rounding on Draco. What did you mean earlier? I meant for you to have dinner with me, and then come to Paris with me. No, when you said you were what I need. The grey in his eyes softened, molten and melting, exactly the way Hermione felt every time he held her. You're angry, 
You're angry at everyone and everything. Except you can't or won't tell them. You won't take it out on those closest to you because even when you're angry at them, you also don't want to hurt them. You don't want to have to be responsible for the devastation your anger could cause. And that's why you seek me out. You can use me. I'm your outlet for all that pent-up rage. I... that's... I'm... She sputtered and trailed off. You resent your parents for not putting in more of an effort to come visit. You wish your friends would be more available. You want to yell at the press, at your idiot co-workers, because you hate how they paint you in this overly virtuous light. You don't want to be Minister for Magic because you're sick and tired of cleaning up this world's messes. You want to just learn about magic and be left in peace. If I'm so miserable and angry, then why stick around? Because I like you. He said it so simply, as if being likeable could be easily counted among her established qualities. She'd been accused of being many things, self-righteous, shrill, condescending, insufferable, even by Draco. Yet he'd just declared it aloud and instantly, like a fact he'd stored away to win an argument. Because, Granger, international regulations require each bludger to be made from the same mould to ensure a consistent weight. And that's enough for you? she asked, terrified of the answer. His hand came up for a moment, twitched in her direction, but then he stuffed it in his pocket and shrugged. Some unsolicited advice. Sort yourself out. See a mind healer. Travel. Take up a superfluous, stress-relieving hobby. It doesn't matter. Do something to shake some honesty out of that overworked, brilliant brain of yours. And if what you need is to keep using me, that's fine by me. I've got nothing better to do than regularly sleep with a beautiful woman. But you owe it to yourself to be honest about what it is you want from me. No more half measures. Before she could respond, the door opened and Harry entered. Uh, hey, sorry. I'm meant to be... He looked down at his character card. Hermione's legal. I mean, Mrs. Van Peebles' legal representation. And, uh, everyone sort of made me go in here. And honestly... This is stupid, but Robards have started asking people to hold a mock funeral, and also, everyone thinks Malfoy's the murderer and Hermione is either his next victim or his accomplice. Patil's the murderer, Draco said flatly, then turned back to Hermione. Find me when you're ready. Or don't. Just make a decision based on truth. Anything less is a waste of your time, and mine. Draco swept past Harry and left. Green wasn't uncomfortable bile-inducing jealousy. It was the opposite. The ultimate comfort colour. It was her friendship with Harry. In his eyes, of course, bright and concerned, just the way they looked now. There was a canopy of trees greeting her after yet another night in a tent, wondering if she'd live long enough to even see the following morning. These days, it was also the green cashmere scarf she stole from Draco. The one that smelled like him. The one she'd wrapped around her when she'd left his bed and gone home alone, surrounding herself in the faintly scented fabric and picturing the arms she'd only just left. Sorry, Harry, I need to go. About time, said Harry with a grumbled sigh as she hustled after him. He never shuts up about you. Draco was nowhere to be found amongst the remaining party attendees. Hermione searched long enough to see a jubilant Padma take a bow and gleefully proclaim herself the secret homicidal maniac. Facing an empty flue in the atrium, Hermione held the powder, weighing it in her hand. 
His remarks about half-measures and honesty rang in her ears, and her voice suddenly called out his address. As she spun out of Draco's hearth, his rigid back and shoulders greeted her. He tensed further when he turned around to see her standing in his sitting room, attempting to hide her trembling by brushing soot off her dress. Yes. He kept his distance, forcing Hermione to come to him on anxious legs. Up close, she saw how the whole palette worked together. He blended so beautifully. She wondered how she looked and felt to him. Did he see a chromatic landscape reserved for him alone? Did he feel a wash in warm tones, shades only he inspired? What you said earlier, you were wrong. And you came here to enlighten me. I came here because I need you, she said. I don't need you because I'm angry and I can use you. Maybe I am angry, but I need you because you make me honest. Even if I've been lying to myself and by extension to you all these months we've been together. Lying about what? That this, that you aren't worth the risk? That I don't want to stay the night or complicate things by seeing where this goes? He pulled her in for an incandescent kiss. One that made her murmur, I stole your scarves, against his mouth and he replied, I know, Granger, and felt so full up of that shimmering and iridescent light he always exuded. It's the longest night of the year, she said, resting her forehead against his neck. So it is. And I want to spend it with you. He tilted her head up. And tomorrow. Hermione smiled. I hear Paris is lovely this time of year. Thank you for listening to Winter Wonderfix. If you'd like to stay up to date for other chapters and stories from ETL Echo, you can follow us on TikTok, Twitter, Tumblr, Instagram, and Spotify at etl.echo.audiobooks. ETL Echo. Echoing tales of enemies to lovers.